The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Well, good morning. We're going to do something a little bit different right now. Um, I want us to read today's passage together. So if you would all stand up for me. And, um, and the reason that we're going to read from the screen is because if we all read from our Bible, some of us uh, have the ESV, which is like the greatest translation. Some of us have the NIV, which is the nearly inspired version. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We all have different translations of the Bible. And so we're going to do this together. This is coming from 1 John. And today we're, we're moving into the series on um, the, really the ones I named after my kids. So we had Savvy Faith, How to Share Your Faith, something like Silas, How to Stand Strong in Hard Times. And now it's Action Jackson. Jackson means God has been gracious. So how do we walk in God's grace? And instead of just doing a topical, we're just going to work through 1 John because I was exhausted of doing topical sermons. So we're going to read this together. Uh, I'm going to count to three, and then we're going to just start in. So let's get the first uh, slide up there. That way we all are on the same page. Now, if you, um, if you don't know Bible words, just make up words. Just wait, if some word comes up, and you're like, I don't know what that means, just say something like Jesus or squirrel, and you'll fit right in uh, to the chapel family. So ready? One, two, three. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father to us. That which we have seen. One more verse. <laughs> okay, grab your seat. Father, we have read your word together. Lord, there is a power in your word. Only through your word can we be revived to faith. So Lord, we ask that this morning some in here who do not believe would come to believe for the very first time. Lord, I ask this morning that people here who have been trapped in darkness would find and be enraptured and lifted up into your loving light. God, I pray that people that are here this morning who are having trouble navigating, who have difficult questions, who have difficult uh, tasks in front of them and, and decisions to make this week, I pray that your word would shine so brightly that they would have clarity. And God, I pray for those in here this morning who may just feel hopeless regarding a situation, that you would give them hope, not because of how good we can be on our own, but because of how good you are to us, your children. Lord, change lives this morning, I pray, in the name of Jesus. All God's kids said, amen. First John is a small book. You can read the whole book um, depending on your reading speed. If you read at conversation speed, you can probably read the, the book of First John, the letter of First John, um, not to be confused with the other John. So there's a John without a number before it. That's the Gospel of John. And then all the way toward the back of your Bible, you'll see 
1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that we call them 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. They're letters from John to uh, a, a group of people or to various other people regarding 2nd and 3rd John. But 1st John is cool because you can read it in about a, the episode of a Seinfeld, uh, about the time of a Seinfeld episode. And um, Seinfeld's a, sh- a show for those young people here. And, and the interesting thing about it is that it's really just two themes. And John does this thing where he p- takes two themes. The first one is God is light, which we're going to look at today. And the second theme in the latter half of the book is God is love. And then he just amplifies those things so that you get the point. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, car shopping, one of my least favorite things to do. We've been car shopping um, because my wife has a baby that's going to come out of her some time before 10 weeks. We have nine weeks left for this baby. We haven't bought a thing. Now, luckily, we've got a gaggle of other children and a church family. So uh, the, other, the main thing we need is a car because it would be like coming home from the hospital. If we had all the kids, we'd have to have paper, rock, scissors for who gets to bounce around in the trunk, and it's going to be me. So we're looking at these cars. Now, for those of you, I know because I went to the parking lot today just to see which families were here, and I saw that three, all three bus families are here this morning. All three all three bus families, two of our suburban families. I mean, we are collectively, we are causing global warming, just the Chapel family. It is a, we're just killing the earth. And, um, and, and I, I, we've been car shopping with my wife, and looking at cars for me is exhausting. I'm, I'm more pragmatic in some sense. Um, like if I had the means, I would be driving around in like a BRZ or something, just something like a two-seater. That way I didn't have to bring my children with me. But um, we're looking at cars now, and and I tried to get my wife to get a minivan. And, uh, and some of you moms, maybe, maybe dads know this, that there's like this big hurdle to go from like an SUV to a minivan. And I even like, we went to this car dealership and I said, okay, babe, I just want you to look at this beautiful minivan. It's the whatever, insert generic name, Sienna, Odyssey, Pacific, whatever it is. They had DVDs and the chairs, the little footrests space for days. The kids can crawl in and out. Uh, you can just wave your foot under the bumper and the thing opens up and then you just, I don't know how you close it. You just wave. I don't know how you, but it closes down. And my wife would just look at it and she'd walk around and then just like silent tears, <laughs> like right in the middle of Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, courtesy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm failing as a husband. So then we go to look at other cars. Because I'm, I'm like, well, we got a budget, babe. This is, this is what we can afford. She's like, but I really want a Suburban or a Sequoia or one of these big cars. I said, babe, it's just we can't do that. I said, maybe we can get the same car that the bus, we can get with school bus back here um, that these people have. I don't know how much those cost. So we're going around looking at all these cars. And it's the same thing every time. So here's what we do. I get in. I sit in the front. I fit. I'm six foot six, if you can't tell. I'm like, okay, I fit in the front. That should happen. So I'm like, let's go to the second seat. I'll call this fitting. It's fitting like tuna fits into a can. And then I go to the third seat. And then I start seeing things on my knees that I didn't even know were there because my knees are supporting my cheeks. And over and over we look. And you would think, like, it's exhausting. And it was exhausting. And it's going to be exhausting spiritually for us but in a good way, because we are going to press into God is light until you guys are so sick of it. 
until every time you see any light, every time someone turns on a light switch in your house, you're going to have the same emotion that I had looking at all of these cars. I know what they do. I know what they don't do. I fit tuna squished. But until we get this concept of who God is, until we look at God as a light from every angle, until we sit in every seat, until we feel what it feels like, we won't have the power, we won't have the insight and the path to know how to walk in love, which is the second part of this book. So we're just going to go through this nerd style. Are you guys ready now? John says that which was from the beginning. Everyone say Jesus. John is talking about Jesus who they saw with their eyes, touched with their hands, and they heard with their own ears. Now, none of us in here, as far as I am aware, have touched physically, seen physically, or heard physically Jesus himself. If you have touched, seen, and heard him, um, submit your resume. My email's in the bulletin. We'll trade spaces. Because I'm serious. I, I, I want to I hear from someone who's touched and seen and heard Jesus, or you'll be in a psychiatric institution, one of the two. But, but John is saying, we have touched him, and we have a message for you, for those of you who have not, that Jesus is life. This life was manifest. We saw him, so we're telling you about him. And in verse 4, John says, we are writing all of these things to you. So this is the end of his introduction that we read. We are writing all of this stuff to you about Jesus so that our joy, his joy, not ours, his joy, and the apostles, their joy may be complete. Have you ever noticed how when, um, when you love something, what do you do? You, you share it. Like nobody loves something and then doesn't share. We all have that friend that loves everything, right? Do you guys have that friend in your life? No matter where they eat, it was the best meal of their life. And for the first six times, you trust them. Seventh time, you're like, dude, Taco Bell is not the best tacos. You need to stop. But every time they do that, and I, and I crack up because I think these people are really just e- eternally optimistic. Um, I love it when you know, the grandparents come over, and all my grandparents, all the grandparents, they, they come to my kids because our kids are their favorites. And I can say that because none of my in-laws are here right now, and my siblings aren't here. My grandkids are the favorites. I can prove it to you also. Um, we moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. This was a couple, three years ago now. And my mom and stepdad moved here. My middle brother's moving down here after he gets out of the Army. And my in-laws just moved over here. This is how I know we are the favorites. Now, now you may think, well, you know, grandparents, they, they love all their grandkids equally because that's what grandparents say. But we all know, just like all parents, say that all of my kids, I love them equally, we're lying. We all have a favorite, and it changes. Now, you, maybe you're different from me. But, so I tell my kids, you're my favorite right now. And they know that. And you may think that's bad parenting. You're going to give your kids self-esteem issues. They're pastor's kids. They're going to have all the issues. They already, I'm already saving, not for their college fund, but for their therapy fund. Okay, so I know, that, I know how I am as a dad. But, but in, in this moment... We talk about what completes our joy. The reason I named these sermon series after my kids is because I want my joy to be complete in sharing with you guys how much my kids mean to me. And not only that, I think it's helpful for us to just bring the Bible down to the ground level at times. So I want you to ponder this question. What do you 
share with other people most frequently. Uh, if you go on social media, you can tell what makes people happy. Right now, um, we're in April. So there's about 5% of us who have kept our health and fitness goals from January. But those people right now are all in. They are posting paleo, keto, whole whatever diet. Still, it's past February. Most of my friends that are carrying their diet into April, I begin to disdain in my heart. I look at them and think, I don't like you because you're self-controlled and I am not. But they share what they love. Some of you, some of you love um, your vacations. You love where you go and that's really cool. I love watching some of your vacations because it gives me ideas, especially those of you who have all of these children. Because now I look at my children and taking them to McDonald's is like an investment. It's, it's $50 just to go get nuggets and fries with this many kids. I don't know how some of you families do it. Some of you go to the movies and you're like, I love this movie. If I asked you what's been your favorite movie lately, I'm sure most of you in here have one that's like right at the top of your head. Some of you, when I said favorite movie, I already saw your arms going up. You were like, Wakanda. <laughs> I saw it. Some of you, the Christian people, you were like, I said, what's your favorite movie? And because we're in a church, you have to be like, well, of course, the Apostle Paul was my number one movie because it's out right now. And Jim Caviezel plays Luke, and, and he was Jesus in the last movie. So it's not confusing, but my favorite. And you may have not even seen it. I watched it, and I nearly fell asleep about 300 times. But I, and then some of you are like, no, best movie ever. I can only imagine, because it's about that Jesus-y song, I can only imagine. The song that literally, um, I feel like I love it, that song personally, and I've, I loved it in the past, but if we sing that more than once every thousand years in the kingdom of God, I'm going to be like, Paul, Jesus, somebody do something. This is ridiculous, because that song just gets stuck in your head, and it's the same chords. There's no musical in- ingenuity in it, but some of you are like, I love it. Some of you right now, maybe you're on that Christian movie kick. Maybe since you saw the war room, you're all about your own war room. And you put pictures of your prayer closet up in your Instagram post. Because God says, those who pray in secret, God will reward in secret. And if you talk about your prayers with others, then you, that's your reward. You get nothing from God. I thought that was odd. Some of you, some of you talk about your spouses, which is good. Well, it can be good. Um, if you're constantly saying, like, the old ball and chain, um, you need therapy and counseling. Because a, a wife or a husband should be a joy. They should light up your world. It, it's not somebody that drags you down. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, my spouse does drag me down. What do I do? How do I fix them? Well, A, you don't. Um, you can't fix your spouse. If you haven't learned that yet, that means you've been married for less than a month. Okay? If, if you've been married longer than a month, you just here's what you do. You start with this prayer that I gave the chapel years ago. I said, if, you're, if your spouse is just out of, you, you can't stand them, they drive you crazy, they push your buttons, they hit the nuke button every other day, here's what you pray. Dear God in heaven, creator of heaven and earth, send your Holy Spirit to attack my spouse with love and change. Amen. And that's it. Or, put simply, God, get him. Unless you're my spouse, who's not here. Okay, we're good. Now, What's the message? This is the message. Verse 5. This is the message that they want to give to you. The people who saw Jesus want to give this message to those of us who have not seen Jesus. This is the message. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Everyone say, is light. I love light. Um, 
as a parent, there's things on the hate list. I hate, uh, as a parent and a human being, decaffeinated coffee. Bad. If you drink decaf, I'm judging you. We don't judge people at the chapel, but I'll judge you for that. Um, I hate turkey bacon. I don't get it. I just don't. Someone tried to give me um, tofu meat. It's like meat, feels like meat, tastes like meat, made of tofu. I don't get that either. I like tofu just fine. But isn't it weird at this point that we're turning tofu into meat? You're never meeting the person that says, you know what I got? I took all this kale and I, I turned it into beef. Or you don't have someone that says, I took a beef patty and said I smashed it, roasted it, sprinkled dirt on it, painted it green, and turned it to kale. This is a beef kale chip. Have you ever wondered why that happens? Because we like meat. So anyway, that's a side note. What I really hate, most of all, the most uh, abhorrent thing in my life, the thing that drives me crazy, the thing that keeps me up at night, the thing that makes me walk gingerly from my door to my children's room every morning when I get them ready for school, hate clear Legos. Mmm. Mmm. Clear Legos. My spine is shivering at the thought. The last clear Lego I encountered, the last clear Lego that I did battle with was um, after the time change, so it was dark. And, And I was walking And it must have just been positioned so that the corner of death was faced vertically. And it was couched in my carpet. And it can't hit the arch of my foot like a decent Lego. It pierces into my heel in the nerve that I think is attached to the back of my spine. Someone's tracking here. It's these kids. It's your kids. Are they like my kids? They go out. I think our kids go out at night and they say, Dad's asleep. And they've got a bag of these clear demons. And when I hit it, it just shot up my spine. And it was like um, the movies when a spirit is coming out of a person. And I howled. Clear Legos. Because you can't see them. And if it's dark, you can't see any Legos. When we talk about what it means that God is light... It means that there is a way that we see and understand who God is, what God has done, and how he wants us to walk. There's a light on the path ahead of us. I am two seconds away from buying those snap lights that are getting marketed to me online, where you just plug them into your outlets and it just shoots light all over your floor at night because of Legos, because I want to see where I'm going. It's if you can't see, bad things happen. For example, again, I know how many stairs I have in my house. I've counted them before. But for whatever reason, I could not tell you the number of times I've gone to take the last stair and found no stair there. Have you guys ever done that where you're already on flat ground and you you take a stair and you need to go to the chiropractor? Because I'm not seeing clearly. Now, equivalently, I see people doing this in their spiritual life constantly. We, we focus on these peripheral issues that make us feel like we're walking with God, but we don't focus on actually just seeing what is God, what light is he casting forward, what understanding does he want me to have. If God is light, and in him, verse 5, there is no darkness at all, and this is where it gets scary, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with God, we are connected to God while we walk in darkness, We lie, 
and do not practice the truth at all. This is a hard message. It, it amazes me how many people hide their bad stuff. We, we hide it. We cover it up. We blame others maybe for the bad things in our life. God is light. And not in a way that I think has been portrayed by a lot of followers of Jesus. The light isn't to shine on people so that we can say, look how bad you are. Ooh, bad, bad you. God is light so that our sin can be brought to the surface because sin is not just this thing that God wags his finger at. Sin is what breaks our life down and makes us have less joy, makes us have less peace, makes us have less love, makes us less content. Sin is the destructive force that we see all around us. And and God wants to shine a light on it so that he can remove it from us. He doesn't shine a light on it so that religious people can gather around and point. We know that story of the woman who had her sin brought to light and the people were coming to kill her with rocks and Jesus said, whoever doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. And the beauty of that story is that the only person who could have thrown the stone was Jesus. And he said, who condemns you? No one. Get, get up. Go. Sin no more. We're so quick, though, within Christianity to start pointing fingers when someone has a sin brought to light. And we do it with sins that are not our own. It's very easy to shine a light on sins that don't look like yours. Have you ever realized that that's what happens? This is, it's easier, for example, if let's say you struggle with gossip, you can shine a light on somebody who cusses all the time. And let's say you have the mouth of a sailor. You can shine a light on somebody who worries all the time. Let's say you're someone who struggles with lust or some addiction. Well, you can shine your light on Christians who judge you all the time. It's, it's easy to shine your light on other people, but God is light for you today. I want you today to ask yourself, where is God trying to illuminate the dark places of your life so that you can see where you're out of alignment, where your life is being fractured? You don't have to cover, hide, and blame. This is um, the same thing I've taught my kids and the same thing I teach myself. Every single thing that we do that is called sin, we process the exact same way as Adam and Eve. And every week, at least on the weekly basis, I take my kids back to the Adam and Eve story in Genesis 3. They sin and they run away. They cover it up or they blame their sibling. The exact same thing that Adam and Eve did. They sinned. First, they covered. They said, we got to we got to cover this up. And they got the leaves. And then they hid behind a bush. And then when they got found in the bush, because it was a cosmic game of hide and seek, Adam said, she made me do it. And then Eve said, the snake made me do it. And the snake said, yeah, boy. That's the Hebrew. Um, And we do sin the same way. It's the only... The three things, it's, it's, the, it's the cover, hide, blame. Every one of us, when we sin, we manage our sin. We try to cope with our sin by covering, covering, hiding, blaming. Cover, hide, blame. There's a good, there's a good music video here. Now you guys remember that forever. Because we cover, we don't want the light to penetrate. We hide because we don't want to be seen by the light. We blame because when light begins pressing into darkness, it hurts. Have you ever noticed that 
the darkness doesn't win. You flip on the light switch, and it's not like the darkness says, I will not retreat. It just, boom. Where light is, darkness is not. Where God is, darkness is not. But some of you are thinking right now, wait a second, I believe in God. You told me it's all about God's grace. It's a free gift of God for me, but I am jacked up. We've got good news for you. We're going to keep reading. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. The word for fellowship is a very famous Jesus-y word. It's called koinonia. It's like a connection, relationship to each other. It's not just like the, the 90s version of fellowship where every church said, what are you about? We're about family, fellowship, and fun. It's not that. It's being connected intimately. It's sitting down with someone and, and allowing someone into your life and you being part of theirs. We have fellowship with one another if we walk in a light, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin. Man. So let's go back to the very beginning of verse 7. Can someone read to me what the first word of verse 7 is? But. I need, there's no other way to say this, but the same way I've said it every time we come to this word in the Bible. I like big buts. Because, because, there's only like three middle schoolers in here with me? Come on! And I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. If, never mind. Okay. Google it. Just Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Because it seems bad. If we lie, we do not practice the truth. We're, We're lying if we walk in darkness. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I, I can't stand pastors that don't talk about the blood of Jesus. They're like, oh, blood, it's, it's weird. It's, I don't really like talking about the blood of Jesus. I'm like, what do you talk about if you don't talk about the blood of Jesus? Because we had to have a life sacrificed for our life. Even in the Garden of Eden, they covered with leaves, but they left with animal skins, which means somewhere in that story, God had to kill an animal to say your sin was so grave, something had to die to take your sin's place. The blood of Jesus is crucial, and it cleanses us from all sin. How much sin? All sin. And unless you find yourself trapped in the the penalty version of Christianity, I need to explain to you, it's not just like all sin in the generic. I want us to specifically understand that The blood of Jesus cleanses us from the penalty of all sin past that we've ever done. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. It begins washing us from the power of sin over our lives currently. And the blood of Jesus will one day rescue us from the presence of sin completely. It saves us from the penalty. It cleanses us from the power. And it will one day remove the presence of sin entirely. It's a past tense present tense and future tense reality if we are in Jesus. Now, some of you are saying, I, I, okay, I believe he could save me from the penalty, but, but I've been wrestling with this thing, struggling with this thing. I hate this person. I worry. I do this. I do that. How does the blood cleanse me from the power of sin today? How do I walk in the light of Jesus today? Now, here's where we can go one of two main routes. First route would be the, the standard um, church route. Well, here's what you've got to do today. You need to read your Bible. What's the word we put after that? More. And pray more. I could not tell you the number of times I've been told to read my Bible more and pray more. I, I, it's maybe been 10,000. 
I don't know. But the thing I dis- dislike about that is that for whatever reason, because I, I think I was such a scoundrel of a human before Jesus, I've rarely struggled reading my Bible and praying. It's not been one of my struggles because I know that I was wretched and, and in Christ I'm made whole and that really grabbed me. So I don't struggle generally. So people that would tell me when I was going through a hard time, when I sold all my stuff and moved to Hawaii to get away from life, and they would say, you, just, you, know, are you, reading? you need to read the Bible more. I would look at them and say, dude, I read the Bible more than you. Well, I'm, maybe you're not reading it right. Shut up. Are you praying? I'm praying. In, I'm, I'm wetting the sand of the beach with my tears. What do you mean am I praying? Are you praying the right way? Shut up. I, got, I told a lot of Christians that for about a year and a half. I just didn't, I didn't like them. I didn't like followers of Jesus because they gave me the answers that I didn't want to hear. They would tell me in my hardest, darkest days, you know, brother, God's going to work this out for good. Have you read Romans 8.28? Yes. On the back of every coffee mug, every T-shirt, every bumper sticker from a church, I've read Romans 8.28. Maybe you should memorize it. Maybe you should memorize the part where David pees on a wall and gets beat up. I was not very happy then. Because that's these cliche things that we give Christians. Well, I'm struggling with this thing. Read the Bible more. Pray more. Maybe you just don't have faith. Maybe you need more faith. Those things, those phrases, they, they're all true. That's the hard part of them. It is good to read the Bible. If you are in this book more than you're in other things, it will shape you. But if I tell you, like, you know, how much uh, Netflix are you watching this week? Have you been uh, binging some Netflix shows, or have you been in the word of the Lord? You know what I just did there? I just used shame, which is a sin, to try to motivate you to be in God's word. How happy do you think God is when we do that? When we use a sin like shame, like I'm going to shame you and, and condemn you to get you to read God's word. How long do you think that motivation lasts? But we do it all the time. It, it, it boggles my mind. What we need to begin to do is not just shame. We, we can't shame people. We have to show people the beauty of the light. How incredible the light is. If there were light in the hallway, I wouldn't step on the Legos. Um, my, my brother, my brother and I, he's, this is my middle brother. I don't know, he's, he's small. But I mean, he's big. He's an army ranger. Um, when we lived together in Hawaii, um, we were tan in Hawaii. Like, I'm talking, like, just wicked cool tan. Because I'm half Asian, so if you put me out in the sun, I'm not quite like those leathery people you see at Anna Maria Island. Um, I'm, not, I'm not like a used belt, but I'm I'm dark. <laughs> Okay, and, uh, and my brother, my middle brother, we have d- different dads, he's, he's half black. And in Hawaii, man, we were like just tan as tan could be. So much so um, that one night we were both like, I don't know, we were probably both going to the bathroom or something. And, and we're brothers, so like, you know, you sleep in your boxers, just, I don't want you to do the whole visual. But we were walking down the hallway, both of us, and I'm six foot six, and he's like five, eight or something. We're just walking, then all of a sudden, boom. 
And we just, he looks up, and I look down, and we're there in the dark, didn't even see each other, because we're so, because my Asian persuasion, and my brother's tan, and and both of our our genetic backgrounds, we just ran into each other, And, and we didn't connect until we saw each other's eyes and teeth. I'm right here. He's like, I'm right here. I'm like, it is dark in here. We are tan. <laughs> and uh, and it, ever since then, we joke about this. <laughs> because like, the spiritual equivalent of it is, is just, it is A, walking in the light lets you know where you're going. It helps you see things that you can't normally see. You see the Legos. You see your brother. He sees his brother. I was six foot six, like 200 pounds, and he ran into me in the middle of the night. And we say, that's funny. Kind of. It's funny until we, we replace the characters, and you realize that the six foot six thing that you're running into in the middle of the night is your broken relationship. The six foot six thing you're running into in the middle of the night is the fact that you go, you dread Monday morning because you hate your boss, your job, your coworkers, your employees, your employee, you hate them all. The, the, the sad thing is that this six foot six giant that you're running into is something that is sucking joy and vitality out of your life, but you're not ready to say, I, I need to see light because you're finding beauty in something else that is not Jesus. Something else is guiding you. Something else is illuminating a path for you that is not Jesus. And it's going to look different. You say, how do I begin seeing God as light? And that's what the next weeks are going to be about. It's not going to be simply read your Bible more, pray more, although that's a component of it. It's going to be what stirs up your heart to love Jesus more. Do that. That may not be reading your Bible in your closet in the morning. It may be for you what stirs up your heart to love Jesus more is sitting down with somebody and saying, hey, what has God been teaching you in your life this week? This is what we do every Saturday at Band of Brothers and every Sunday night at Band of Brothers. It's what the small groups do. What's Jesus doing? We sit there, we read the Bible, talk about the Bible, share life together. You might need to get connected to that. Maybe for you, you're like, I don't even know where to start. I can tell you where to start right now. My cell phone number is in the second announcement in your bulletin that says Chapel Refresh. Text me and say, hey, I just don't know how to stir up my affections for Jesus. Can we have coffee? And I'll say, yes, we can have coffee. Because I want us to get away from the cliche answers and say, be in the light, be in the light, be in the light, read your Bible, pray, read your Bible, pray, have more faith, more faith, read your Bible, pray. But just ask, what makes me love Jesus more? This week I'm thinking about ordering a watch. I'm not a watch guy, but there's this watch called the Ticker, T-I-K-K-E-R. You input your health profile on their little calculations, and they give you the date of your death. And then it tells you on your watch every day how many years, months, days, hours, seconds, until you kick the bucket. And obviously, like, it's not God. But it gives you a rough estimate, you know. If you do this, take away three years. If you do this, add three years. Um, It's only 59 bucks. And some of you are thinking, that's morbid, man. But for me, one of the things that stirs my affections for Jesus is thinking about when I get to see him. So what better way for me to get a watch that's just reminding me, like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Because I'm probably going to be in Florida for the long haul. I want to commit to be here and to love a family here and not just move like pastors tend to move. But 
but I don't want to be, like, imagine if you have this watch, and it's like, you got five days, a couple hours left, whatever that age is going to be for me. I think I'm going to cruise out around 76, give or take. Um, just because I'm tall, my heart has to work more. Um, here's the thing I see. People, when they're like 65, 67, 68, 69, they start doing weird stuff, like collecting seashells. If you strap a ticker watch on those people, they're done with the shells. Like, hey, girl, you got five days. You better put those shark teeth down and go love your grandchildren. Or maybe for you, it's the way that you would live your life. Maybe some of you are just so trapped in total despair and disappointment in your life. You've forgotten what it even means to love God in a way that makes you passionate for him. It's probably not the ticker watch for all of us. It's the ticker watch for me. What is it for you that stirs your affections toward him? And then lastly, verse 9, I have to get to because it's the most popular verse in this passage and we didn't get to it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess, family, he is faithful. Don't hold it in, bring it to the light. If you can't confess here, where we are as a church family now, it'll be hard for you to confess anywhere. And it's not always going to be easy. It will be messy. But at the end of it, we will still hug you and hold you and walk with you and be there for you. But you got to confess. Confess because he is just. Confess because he forgives past, present, and future. He cancels the debt. Confess because he will make you clean. He will change your attitudes. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make this the the banner over your life this week and begin to see God melt your heart as you realize how much he loves you and died for you and gives you and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, um, you are good. You are good. And your grace endures forever. You forgive weary sinners like us. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light. Help us to have Jesus as the focal point that lights our way. Help us to run from the brokenness and the things that tear us down. Help us, Lord, to confess. And God, I pray that this would be a family where we could confess and nobody would cast stones. I pray this would be a family, God, where we don't even pick up the stones of judgment because we recognize how loved and forgiven we all are because of you. It's in Jesus' name I ask all these things. And all God's kids said, Amen.